Welcome to another episode of Foreign, Domestic and Forbidden, the podcast about books and ideas. I'm Tim Trash. I am Joaquin Lobo. And we'll be your hosts for the next hour. Joaquin, for the 45th time, how are you? I'm, I'm fine, but I want to say, before I forget, I want to say this, and I really mean it. Fuck Jordan Peterson. He's a scumbag. In case you didn't listen to me, I'll say it again. Fuck Jordan Peterson. He's an intellectually dishonest scumbag. Uh, and now, going back to your question, I am pissed off because <laughs> it's like 1, 1, oh, 9 p.m. On my birthday, and you have not said happy birthday to you. How's how's that? I'm 62 today. Um, I haven't been congratulated by, by For my some reason. Brother. I thought it was tomorrow. <laughs> oh my god, happy birthday! Happy birthday! Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm afraid always to congratulate somebody early because that's kind of supposed to be it's, it's uh, bad oh. luck. Yeah, I know. Wow, yeah, it's bad luck. Happy birthday. Thank Jordan you. Peterson. Thank you. Yeah. You don't know who Jordan Peterson is. I'm no. surprised. It's okay. Don't bother. It's not worth <laughs> it. You Google it later. Clinical psychologist, that one? I don't know. Something like that. Whatever. It's not worth okay. your time. Okay. Okay. Uh, cool. Yeah. So I'm fine. You know, I'm getting ready for a birthday party. My son who's very generous, thought of me, and he's going to have 40 kids. But what if his friends tonight for a party? And he's like, oh, we're celebrating your birthday. Like, yeah, right. So, yeah, it's going to be noisy. It's going to be insane. And it's going to be fun for them. So, yeah, that's a big plan for today. And I'm very happy. I'm very excited because we have a fantastic guest, a friend of mine for many, many years. I think I've known him for over 20 years. John Wilkins, who is uh, a theater guy. John spent many years as the artistic director of Last Planet Theater, legendary company in, in the Bay Area, producing and directing plays uh, such as Howard Baker's Ursula, Sore Throats, and, you know, very impressed. He, he, he produced and directed Fast Fassbinders, uh, The Bitter Tears of Petra von Kant. I remember the film. I don't know the play. I suppose it's very similar. And then for uh, many years, also Wilkins was a dance and theater critic for KQED Arts here in the Bay Area. He writes reviews and I uh, was also really blown away a while ago after reading a review of, that he wrote on Roberto Calasso's um, The Art of the Publisher. And man, I, I distinctly remember reading that review and thinking, this is one of the smartest guys, most sophisticated essayist I ever read. And I, I just knew that, you know, I wanted to be his friend. So I'm very happy and honored to, to welcome John to the to the show. Well, I'm happy to be here, Joaquin, and happy birthday. Um, Thank you. You're, you're a Virgo, which means something. I think I'm a Virgo rising, which might... You are. Yeah, yeah, prove why we get so, along. <laughs> when is your birthday, then? Well, I mine is in March. I'm Pisces. Um, mm. I think the... I think, 
I actually don't believe any of the stuff, but my wife loves it. So I know that I'm Virgo rising and I know I'm the year of the rabbit. So, hmm. Well, I like I like rabbit. I like rabbit in pie, yeah. So, yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's the, I see. That's why I like yeah. I see. Do get along with? It's the only sign that gets along with all of the other signs. <laughs> oh my god! No, it is true. Like, have you ever seen these 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 memes of the twelve signs with where the heart is located? You know, like like so so oh. for example, Taurus has a pizza slice as a heart. Uh, Aquarius doesn't have a heart, or it's a block of ice, something like that. But Pisces has hearts all over. It's one of the most wow. loving signs, and that's the only sign who can like make friends and be in a relationship with any of the other signs so it's 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 a big thing well hmm. my it's pisces too so it's a little bit like the poseidon adventure we can't make up our minds we go this way we go that way <laughs> yeah that that yeah that that makes perfect sense pisces are not very decisive they are dreamers they're not like bare, bare knuckle fighters Unlike uh, <laughs> unlike Oliver Anthony, who is um, writing songs <laughs> about the real world. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> or at least You're some ready. real You're world. Getting, right? <laughs> are we getting ready for the fight? Okay, why don't we talk about the topic of today's show? Yes, why don't we talk about the topic? The topic is a little bit of everything, but it will start with Oliver Anthony and. A smaller question, what do we think about the song and the reaction to the song, but also the larger question of why do things go viral in in what do we make of that? Or do we make anything of that? I did look up Jordan Peterson, but it, it seems to me an, another like uh, incident where people go viral for for no particular reason at all, just because they do something that is really dumb and and suddenly everybody's kind of like zooming in on them uh whether they do have importance like in their own lives or not but suddenly it's sort of like the focal point like this like this weird dress that was like blue or gold or whatever suddenly like 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 mm. every, everybody's right. sort of drawn into this thing and and uh, for that reason alone it's very interesting yeah yeah i i mean i think it was a it must be a terrifying moment. I, I know people are really fond of critiquing people as they sort of enter the public domain, I guess. But what's really shocking to me in the whole Oliver Anthony thing is, you know, for if you're talking to one person or two people, it's very easy to talk to them. 15 or if you're in front of a class, that can maybe kind of mm. unnerve you sometimes. 100 people or 300 people that can make you start to seem stupider and stupider and what's so interesting to me about the song or at least the response to the song and his response is how many people he's addressing how many different audiences he's addressing and how many different ways he's pulled now i i particularly i i'm not sure that i can really listen to the song um in the right way i don't like that type of music it kind of grates on me in a way mm -hmm. i'm sure that's a a class bias or <laughs> mm. but on the other hand um i find it's a, just a really interesting incident usually you get these kind of 
um, problems on the left. It's so interesting to see the the same problems recapitulated on the right too. With you know, he sings something, he says something, it upsets people. His his voice is an appellation enough; it sounds very appellation in the song. Um, uh, he has to defend himself and talk his way through his own song and interpret his own lyrics. It's really, it's really just a a fascinating moment um, culturally uh, from the right. Uh, instead of the normal sort of like these things normally come from the left, I think, because the left owns culture or at least the culture that gets paid attention to in some serious or significant way. Do you think that these things, when you say these things come to the left, is that maybe connected to, has something to do with the fact that you don't listen to what the right is talking about because we are, what you are on the left You're no, more familiar I, with, with the left's uh, arguments and inner conflicts? I'm not, I'm not sure, but I do think this is the first time that I can remember in a long time. For instance, I thought one of the most interesting things is he, you know, after the song, he said, uh, the strength of America is, is, is its diversity. And when he was talking, yeah. his voice didn't right. match his, his singing voice. And all of a sudden, questions of a authenticity um uh what's your political point of view are you with us or against us those are those are all arguments that i completely understand um from the from my world which is a world of the left and the world of liberals and so on um mm -hmm. and how art gets treated i mean i don't know what you know um you like the song i don't listen to this kind of music to be honest um i I heard about the, uh, the the conflict that the lyrics and, and Oliver Anthony himself had sort of created within both the left and the right. Uh, so I, I I I read what was being published in the New York Times and the Washington Post. I heard the song and I liked it a lot. Like I said, I don't listen to it. I heard it. I was like, wow, that that's like a really can't, can't I. I thought he came across a very honest, uh, heartfelt uh, maker of, of, of lyrics and music. And I liked it. I thought it was a song that reminded me of, you know, the songs that back in the 40s and 50s, uh, troubadours, people singing, uh, embracing union movements. And, uh, and then, of course, back in the 60s. Uh, that kind of song was very popular, not only in the US, but also across Latin America. I was uh, going to high school when I became aware of the Canción de Protesta, the protest song in Latin America with singers from Chile, from Argentina, from Uruguay, from Cuba, who, you know, were singers who had a message. And that, that term itself was very popular back in the 60s and 70s songs with a message, right? And the message was, you know, fight the oppressor, uh, fight for what's politically right, fight against dictatorships. This At the same time that these people were singing, a lot of uh, oppression was taking place by military regimes in Chile, Paraguay, Argentina, Brazil. So this song brought me back to that, to that time where, you know, a troubadour would sing about about the poor, about the dispossessed, 
and was trying to make a point. And I yeah. liked it very much. Yeah, I was thinking about that. And also just in our culture, how fast artists are reacting to events and how fast critics are reacting to artists and how mm -hmm. the artists are then turning around and responding to the critics and saying they don't agree with their interpretations. I mean, I think that's right. really, a, you know, that sort of give and take is really interesting and really fast, but it really also um, puts this uh, tremendous pressure on people and kind of stays away from what one might call the, a disinterested art or at least an art that you could sort of step back and look at for a little bit. This is an art where you have to respond or agree or you're part of or you're against. And um, I think, I, I'm not sure that he intends it. And I think that he fights it a little bit and what he has to say. But I think part of the success of the song is at least um, the sense that um, there's a certain type of injustice for a certain type of poor people. And then there's another type of poor person, the, the five foot three overweight welfare cheats. And that, mm -hmm. that's, that's part of the song that really propelled it to the forefront. Yet it seems right. very clearly something that he wants to disavow. Um, yeah, and in the in the video you sent us, John, like like he sort of disavows it and says, "Oh, I also wrote lyrics about homeless people and how unfairly they're being treated." But I, I like very much what 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 Joaquin said about the protest songs. But but here I think he maybe put himself in those shoes, but he's punching down. He's clearly punching down, and and what you just quoted about the five foot three uh, pound people, the obese milking welfare, Texas ought not to pay for your bags of fudge rounds. That is just punching down. This is not attacking powerful people who keep money and resources away from poorer people. This is really just punching down and saying, "Oh, you are the problem." And because it's also followed straight away with these young men putting themselves six feet in the ground because all the damn country does is keep on kicking them down. It's like just the succession of those lines, like like um plus it's kind of like a like a causation there that that somehow they are they are linked. So so we we have to pay for the obese people's fudge rounds, and that's why people go out and fight. Now he does try to disavow that, and that's actually an interesting move. But there are two things that 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 I'm not sure about. A, how much how much did he want to plug into right wing sentiment when he wrote the lyrics, or was he even aware of? Because I I feel that the right has made it sort of a cause celeb, like to to like the song, to bring it, which might not have been in his interest, but. But then I watched the the ten minute video of him sort of talking about that, talking about the left and the right, and he's sitting in the cabin of his old truck. That's a very old truck, and that's a bench seat. The rain is pounding down. I can imagine somebody with a with a watering can, like like doing the sound effect, and, and he wants to come off as this very authentic guy, on this very thoughtful guy who's 
who can't be bought by either left or right, who doesn't really have anything to do with the left or right. But the second verse of the song is exactly what the right has been telling us all along. And so he's buying into that. And, and it made me think about um, how you might be courting that. And it reminded me of all things of an episode of South Park where Cartman, because he can't cut it in the normal music business, starts singing mm -hmm. Christian music. He just changes all his lyrics <laughs> and, and all the love songs to, 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 to women and all that is suddenly Jesus. He just puts in Jesus wherever there's a woman's <laughs> game or so. And, and so he becomes this super superstar in Christian music, like just, just because he does that. And, and here, like looking at the lyrics, I don't know if he really wanted that, if he was aware of, or if he just got picked because it fit into some worldview. But it seems to be fishing in the murky waters, and and I don't quite believe his kind of reasoning that it's not against obese people, obese milk and welfare. I mean, that is as as clear cut as it can be. Yeah, I think the art gets away from him. I mean, I think you're absolutely right that it's impossible if you take the song internally, just take it internally and see what it's doing. It does exactly what you're saying that it that it does. What I but what I find interesting about sort of like the way he tries to sort of um, work his way around the controversy is, it, well, let me try and put it in this way. It seems like you can look at art and it's also protest songs, right? With a big T truth and a little T truth. Now, there's been all sorts of articles. There's a really good one in New York Magazine and there's um, a podcast called Citations Needed. And they look at big T truth and they just take the song apart. Like this, you know, this isn't true. Um, you're actually taxed at a historically low level. Uh, um, both within the United States and internationally. Um, there's lots of money coming into Appalachia in a certain way. They like do a, they, they do a tax analysis. When you actually say, when you engage with big T truths, right? People can come with big T answers and say, the way you're constructing this and actually people on welfare are actually working, what the big problems are the, in the world or the working poor. It's not someone, some sort of someone who's, you know, eating too many fudge rounds or something like that. But what's interesting to me is that there's also a little T, a little T truth, um, which I feel inclined, somewhat inclined to give him, which is, this is the way he feels and this is the way a lot of people feel and that re that resonates with him and as long as that little t truth stays there in little t and doesn't make sort of claims on policy or something like that i'm kind of fine with the song as a protest song mm. it's when it slides into big t truth and i think that you're absolutely right at that moment we all feel that kind of slide right there that I have problems with the song and want to sort of like take it apart um, in ways that people who are much more sort of, you know much more about the tax code than I do are really capable of doing. 
I also wonder, just like an like an author is not responsible for the narrator of the story necessarily, you know, like because we we might pick a narrator who's not like us, who is not uh, on the right side of things as we see it or any of that, that that the, a song as such doesn't have to be the voice of Oliver Anthony, but he can basically portray <laughs> the, the, the Appalachian small man or something yeah. like that, you know, like that, that he's taking on a persona to sing the song, but, and, and that's where the small T I think also is, is, is really helpful, you know, like to, to, okay, this is how people feel. And, whenever we get the consumer confidence reports, it's all about how people feel, not what's actually really going on necessarily. But when he talks in the cabin of his old truck uh, and wants to come off as really sort of heartfelt and he doesn't say, look, I listen to people. This is what I hear. And I wanted to voice that. He all makes it, he says it's divine intervention that has put him in this place. So he has suddenly like this big, oh, I'm telling you the big T here. You know, God put me here to tell you the very grand T of it all. But that's how, how, old, how old is this guy? So I, I think that, you know, he, he seems to be very young. And I think he was put in a, put in a very difficult place by, by media and by social media. And he's just trying to figure out how to get out of it with an answer that satisfies everyone, and that's going to be impossible. Also, one of the big problems with this guy is that he's white. And you look at the videos where he's singing, and all of those white people look exactly uh, like people who attend Trump rallies. So, of course, the, the, the white liberals are going to hate him. The black and brown liberals I want to hate him. So, you know, he has a lot of things that go against him. I, I, th I think that his, his whiteness and the whiteness of the song and the whiteness of his public, of his audience, have been problematic in a way that that's unfair to him. Um, I'm thinking that we don't have any issue with especially black singers saying anything they want to say about whatever they want to say, talking shit about, you know, about the system, talking shit about women. I mean, I, I, the list is, is endless. But they're black, so they're cool because we like black music and we're used to this, to this type of performance. For many, many years, we've been listening to hip hop and rap and we like it. We don't even question anymore because we just take it as it is. But here you have a young white guy who somehow, like you say, Stefan is representing a point of view that we don't know if it's his or, or we don't know if it's that of his, of his people, his character. And a lot of people are taking issue with that. And that, to me, seems unfair. Well, it's also his character too, right? I, I mean, I, I think Tim, you're at, you're absolutely right to pick out when he says that it's divine intervention. Um, but he's like deeply confused because at the same time he says, "I'm no one." Like it, it's this incredible tension. I'm no one. There's so many more people more talented than I am who've worked harder than I am. I don't deserve to be here. But it, I, I know it's inauthentic. But it, 
<laughs> it's divine intervention but i i see this personality all the time especially with young artists like they're trying to figure out sort of what their identity is and how they can fit into a culture and he doesn't know how to do that yet and that to me that seems um just incredibly difficult i i want since since we're quoting his actual lines I think that he says something towards the <laughs> the end of the video. I can't remember where the rain has stopped or not, but he seems to be choking up at some mm -hmm. point. Yeah, yeah. And, and he said, and he's trying to defend these lyrics. He's trying, Tim. He's doing this right. thing that you're you're saying. You're saying like, look, this isn't me. Um, I, I read an article about obese people and chocolate, and it just came out. Um, the English language is interpretive. It's not like any language is interpretive, um, <laughs> <laughs> Oliver. But he said, and this is this is my favorite point. I'm going to preface it by by saying this. I think that all sorts of artists, on the left, the right, the middle, have been put in this position, and I find it really crazy. He says, at some point, I will dissect the lyrics of all my songs if that's what I need to do. And I thought that's, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> that's crazy. And it's also unfair. I, 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 I would hate to, 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 to be in that position where I have to explain what I wrote in a novel. I don't want to do that. You can imagine like Shakespeare coming out and explaining every single sort of objectionable line. I, it just, I agree exactly. with the critiques. I, I agree with the critiques of him. I, I think that they're I think that they're right. And I think as politics, um, his politics are very questionable when you put it in sort of right. big T politics, big truth politics, or just under any lens of common sense. But I do think that once you even a protest artist, even someone who's singing about the people, if you blow them up to this level, they aren't going to have any room to breathe or, or to be. And as viewers and listeners, we aren't going to have any room to breathe or live or be or, or be with them in any way. You know, we talk about, you know, going viral. Um, the act of going viral is in some sense a very claustrophobic experience it's an experience that doesn't allow you really to be yourself um i thought about sort of um i was reading about celebrity apologies i guess um um uh, i can't rename uh, mila uh they're the, a couple austin kutcher they were on oh, that yeah. kutcher yeah. and yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Mila yeah, Kutcher's, and, yeah. and their co-star Danny Matherson, I guess, has been convicted of two rapes and 30 years in prison. And they wrote they wrote letters to the judge asking for a certain type of lenience because they found him to be a good person in their lives. It, well, you know, it got out and they tried to do an apology video and people say, well, that apology isn't good enough. Um, right. I, I just think that if you don't have room to maneuver, if you don't have room to defend even a really awful person in your life who's actually maybe done some good things for you. Like there's no room at all for you to be and to live and to 
um, deal with nuances um, and to present points of view that, I mean, I don't think that the song, it, the song that I really think is really dangerous is the uh, Don't Try This in a Small Town, which really does seem to me to be a lynching song. Um, this song... Yeah. Wait, wait, who wrote that song? Is that another uh, of his songs? Jason Aldern. It's the other. Oh, alt- okay. Yeah. Oh, the it. other viral song. Yeah, yes. the other yeah. alt right, alt right hit. Right, right. Um, <laughs> I feel like I'm defending the song in which I really don't like, um, a type of music I don't like, and a politics I don't like, for the principle that we do need space in our culture to have enough room to have conversations to develop um i don't know what's going to happen to him he <laughs> typical this type of thing he says i'm i'm doing a mental health check in that's the first thing he says and um you know people are asking me about my mental health and i thought wow this is really this touches on every single bit of our culture right now yeah, I, I like what you say about the, the space, uh, and, and I feel that the space has narrowed in the last 10, 15 years quite a bit, uh, where artists are being asked to also be good people, uh, which is which is kind of a weird thing, um, because artists have often not been good people, and, and, and that was kind of expected. Uh, I mean, in the olden days, 1800s, let's say, or so, I mean, theater people were scum, you know, like, like, for example, you know, like, they were the lowest of the low and like, on equal footing with prostitutes and what have you. And, um, and, and so like, like, uh, if, if, if we apply the standards that we apply to Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis, for example, like to Pablo Picasso or Cervantes or Chaucer, I mean, they all fail. They all fail. You know, like they, they, like, and, and we suddenly have to disavow the art because the artist wasn't pure enough. And, and, and that's, and that is a problem. And I think, I think we, we are not able to have a very complex discussion about how art, personal life, uh the media as it is right now like like play together um because people are shouting a lot and and people are very snarky about things and and you can't actually finish your sentence before somebody will barge in and and shout you down all it being said though it's it, what what I'm kind of really interested in here and I, I, I would need to either do a way lot more research or or talk to them. Was Oliver Anthony aware of what he's of what he was gonna do there? You know, is is because at some point I think you 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 might you might become aware of when you're writing a song, when you're writing a book, when you're writing whatever, or or portraying something that a certain group of people will really love that shit you know and 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 so are you offering like 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 don't try that in a small town i mean that's to me that that seems very obvious you know like you can't talk yourself out of that with oliver anthony i, I i'm not sure but but he's not really strongly saying oh go fuck yourselves you know i just wrote a song 
and, and the worry I have with with his intentions too is this you can be a mean motherfucker in real life and create really cool art. Uh, Knut Hamsun, the writer, like like for example, you know, hmm. but, but but here the guy is punching down. He is punching down, you know, and and uh, it's and that I find kind of really questionable, you know, like 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 to punch down in your art. Um, there it gets kind of uh, weird, and and this is also like the thing that that are the hardest to read when you reread. Hemingway, for example, or Thomas Eliot, or wh wh whatever you know, like 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 uh, T.S. Eliot, and and um, this 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 just like that that certain opinions are just mean spirited. There's there's nothing like that you can kind of save. You know, you can say okay, the times were mean spirited or whatever, but but those are the elements in the art that make you go, whoa, this is really. This kind of sucks, you know. It's not just, it's not just a personal opinion, like or that he was a dick in real life or whatever. But this is really in the artwork, uh, Shylock, for example, in Shakespeare. You know, like there's something that you just can't can't talk away or 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 extract without making the art fail. Um, no, I think you're right. And I mean, I mean, this is the this is the tricky thing about all this, right? I mean, Shylock's a really great example. The energy around Shylock and that play is really amazing. And mm -hmm. and how uncertain you are about how to feel about Shylock by the end of the play. You gotta remember his <laughs> daughter is still around in the couplings, right? At the at the end of the play. And so, you know, how he's left and how his mark is there in the play is like a really, really tricky, is a really, really tricky thing that I, I think people are still struggling around. Um, and, you know, in, speaking of Hemingway, like the energy around um, the sun also rises or a movable feast is really, I mean... I, I, you don't know any other way to describe who's the, he's the boxer, Robert from Princeton. Um, in the sun also rises. I can't remember his last name, but it's a clearly anti-Semitic. Poland. You know, <laughs> a clearly anti-Semitic trope. Yeah. I mean, you know, they, I mean, it's clearly awful, but I have to say that when I read and maybe I'm just misreading it because I enjoy the sun also rises so much that it doesn't seem so much an, an attack and I'm forgetting the last name on, on Robert so much finally in the end as the, the diminishment of Jake, like Jake's diminishment has been there and the, those tensions always float in that way. Now, I don't know what I'm saying because I don't think I can apply. <laughs> I think that you're right, Tim. I can't apply this to Oliver Anthony. I do think he's, I, I think that you're, it's a very strong critique to say that he's punching that he's punching down in a way um, that he's not hitting at the people who are really causing the problems of poor people in Appalachia. I mean, that's always who you hit at is always an important kind of an important thing. But I don't know. I had a question. But you know, but why, we, why, why does he have to do that? 
mean, we're, we're assigning him a task, a political task, when the guy just wrote a song. And there's a couple lines that, that are problematic. And, and, and then we take issue with a lot of things that have nothing to do with, with this guy or with the song. Imagine Philip Roth trying to explain away his misogyny. Just like, you know, what you say, imagine Shakespeare defending Shylock or Hemingway defending Sonoso Rises, the public that will not be satisfied with any explanation. I don't think you have to explain anything. That's why I think this absolute, this is absolutely unfair to this guy who was all of a sudden put in a situation where he had he had no choice but to explain it because, you know, he's he's already there. He put himself there. So in, in a way, I, I think that, you know, it doesn't matter what he says. I think that you have the right, like Stefan was saying, you have the right to 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 write whatever you want. And then it's up to you whether you want to be part of that conversation or not. I would never be part of a conversation like that. But I also defend my right to 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 write a story or a novel that is going to offend someone, whether or not I intended to offend them. I have the right to, to write whatever the hell I want. And if you don't like it, that's too bad. I mean, my editor might not publish it. The critics might destroy me. The readers might burn my books. But I have the right to to write that poem, that play, or that song. If we don't, if we don't have that right, then we're at the mercy of every single reader who's going to be offended. And you know that there will always be someone who is offended and pissed off. There oh, will right. be some constituency that's, that, that wants to bind you, burn you, and crucify you. No, I, I mean, I think that's exactly right. And the sort of offense has sort of creeped down. Like it, what was not offensive has become more offensive. Um, what is uh, what what people consider disturbing or consider wrong in art has creeped down in sort of like they can't even wait until the ending of a piece before they're ready to critique it. And I think this right. is the problem when he's saying, look at my other work. <laughs> he starts quoting from his other work in the way mm -hmm. only a young artist can, right? It's sort of like, look at it. And he starts quoting lyrics. He says, I've always been, I've always been for the poor. I mean, the, the ability to sort of chart a path and to grow as an artist seems entirely lost in this, in this present moment. I mean, I, I, I kind of want to flip a question for you guys because we all are in the classroom. Um, I'm going to, this is just, a, <laughs> a, this is a theory, theory that I have, but that I would say in the last 15 years or so that education has become more commodified, um, that the students treat education as consumers not as students, but as consumers, they go like, I'm buying something and I'm going to get something. It's like a one-to-one -one relationship. And especially in the arts, which is really interesting, it's sort of like, so I want to be an artist. So I'm going to go and I'm going to get a degree in being a, <laughs> in being an artist. And this, this degree is, uh, this degree, I'm going to do certain things 
I'm going to go one, two, three, four, five. I'm going to take all my classes. I'm going to do all the right things. I'm going to be a good person. And in the end of the day, I'm owed something, which is a platform to have people read my books, to be taken seriously and all that. Now, this, this really shouldn't happen and doesn't happen, but it, I think it creates a huge backlash. In other words, there's a certain amount of anger. Um, I, look at, I, I look at other people. I'm a really, really good person. I've done the right things. I got an A in all my classes. Um, there's something wrong with the art in front of me. Like I need to, I, I need to attack this. And I think that the style of attack um, did start in universities and colleges. And the more that universities, universities and colleges cater to a notion of a consumer rather than someone who needs to be educated, the more likely you are to get this type of criticism and the more likely you are to get this type of cultural, cultural response. Um, it's the response of not being pleased right in the moment. I go to a cafe, I hear this all the time. People come up, this arugula doesn't please me. You've done, you've, you know, you've done this drink in, in, in the wrong way. This cake, um, the carrot is wrong in some, in, in some way. And it's the same thing with how people look at art. Like they don't finish it. My students don't read entire books. Sometimes they don't even read entire, see entire movies. I mean, that was the easiest thing for me to do or the easiest thing that you could do in a classroom and show a movie. If something objectionable happens, they will shut off halfway through a film. They will just stop because as a consumer, they have been insulted, right? It's sort of like if um, Joaquin uh, has the right to sort of offend, as soon as he offends, they say, I have the right not to think. And then I have the right to say anything I want about you know this work and actually I, I would say in the, it moves into lies about that anyway that's a that was way longer than I intended <laughs> be, be, but I really believe it <laughs> yeah I, I the the I, I'm not sure that it was that it originated in in universities uh I'm, I'm really not sure about that but what I see happening in universities um, because of the rising cost of, of education, because of the university for, for profit, even if it's a public school, um, because the state just doesn't pay the whole bill anymore, is the is, is is that the whole university and, and a colleague of mine in the in the arts and humanities is saying that all the time that everybody just looks at learning outcomes in 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 the arts and humanities i mean there is no learning outcome you know like like the whole idea that my students might take a creative writing class and then have x number of building blocks in their brain is ridiculous you know like 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 they're eureka moment might come five years down the road where they suddenly oh now i understand where it might never come you know and that's fine with me um because they're trying they're trying out things they're 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 approaching something that you can know and submit to the process and who knows what's going to happen there it's sort of like going into the house of horrors 
and you don't know what's in the dark corners, you know, and 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 and, and that's that. So the the whole focus on learning outcomes um, has exactly led to what you're observing, I think, um, that we're having now consumers as students, students as consumers, and, and we're we're feeding them bites, we're feeding them things that we can measure or think we can measure in some way. Um, and everything from from our phones and and our attention spans shrinking, which is very, very real, even though it's a truism by now, uh, to the pandemic and and what that has sort of wreaked like on our minds. Yeah, uh, my students don't read even three page stories anymore. I assign them short story, shorter stories, shorter short stories. Uh, and they don't even finish that because they're like, oh, I have other classes. And that's an argument for them. Oh, I, I also have other classes. And I get it. You know, like it wasn't that I constantly prepared for every single class I had, but they don't expect it even anymore. They don't even feel bad about it anymore. It's just like, I I, I just want my A and then and then I'm out of here. You remember, I I always said there's a there's always a family friend when you are young who gives you a present and you open up the present and you're like, why did they give this to me? I don't understand this. I, I don't like this present. <laughs> like it's not. And, and, and what happens, I, 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 I have friends like this, especially this one woman, her name was Billy Cragen. She was like friends with my parents. She'd give these presents and it would always happen like clockwork three and a half years later. I would look at that present and I would be drawn to it and I would either read it or I would play with it. And I realized that, you know, there are all sorts of presents. There are presents that give you immediate satisfaction, but there are also presents that take a while to grow. grow. This is what I find. So I think you're right about that um, in terms of learning outcomes. Some lessons just take a while and you have to wait for them. And you have to let things grow. Um, and those presents are really great because you get it three and a half years later and you aren't even expecting. Talking about birthdays, Joaquin, you might get a present. I might give you a present. You're going to go, what the hell is this? I don't like this. I don't like this at all. But three years from now, you're going to say, that's the greatest present I ever received. You're muted. You're muted. <laughs> Sorry, I said I want the complete works of Oliver Anthony for my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I don't think he'll survive this. Yeah, that's my personal prediction. Also, this is this is just this is this is one of those things that will go away, and two months from now, no one will remember Oliver Anthony because we'll be busy with the next you know, stupid thing that everyone is talking about. Like, I couldn't care less about Oliver Anthony. At the end of the day, I really don't care. I, you know, you know what, what what strikes me about this conversation in, in where my part in the conversation, I feel, um, I don't know, remember his first name, but do you remember the shooter at one of the protests, like in the Midwest, Black Lives Matter protests, Rittenhouse? 
You know, the 17-year-old who came with yep. his guns and... Kyle. Yeah, Kyle. Yeah, exactly. And and I'm afraid... I mean, I, I'm afraid of a person like that, but I'm more afraid of the right-wing media, the right-wing politicians who then elevate a person like that to this martyr status. Who, who pick this person and make them this symbol for their whatever cause. And, and, I, and I think, you know, like this, this song, yeah, it punches down. And, and I'm sure a lot of songs do, you know, and, and we forget about it. But, but when the right picks its heroes, it always gets kind of very, very murky. And, and right now I feel... The right has no ideas. They have no legislative ideas. They have nothing. They only want to be against whatever the left kind of wants to do. And and and, and so to to find this guy who talks about big government and and how the poor people are are put upon and how the mine. Why should we support miners? Mining is horrible. It's a horrible job. It's a dangerous job. <laughs> it's bad for the environment. Why should we? Why should we support miners of all people? You yep, know, like exactly. support the people, but not the, but not the profession. You know, and and so like it 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 just sort of plugs into this, what seems to be heartfelt. But it's just this very cloudy, nebulous thing, bubble of 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 petty grievances. And, and, and I I wonder even what his background is. Like I haven't looked into that. You know, like like that he even knows anybody who's actually like poor. You know, but whatever. Well, I, I mean, I think he does. But I think the the really interesting thing is how fast the right turned on him. Like when. He actually, <laughs> You know, they were they were very happy to to promote him. <laughs> and then he comes out with like ridiculous statements from their viewpoint. You sort of like the strength of America is its diversity. And I actually didn't mean to insult short fat people. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, well, how dare you? I mean, how, how dare you? You are no longer an authentic member of, you know, what quasi authoritarian world I want to I, I want to create. That's what I, I mean, that's what I love about this particular controversy. I mean, someone once said, of, um, maybe I shouldn't bring her up, but I will. J.K. Rowling. Oh. Her views <laughs> are... Oops. Oops. <laughs> no, 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 I'm just going to bring soon, up... Too soon, too soon. No, I'm just going to bring up one little thing. They, say, they pointed out her views are 98.8% woke like in 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 what she thinks about the world and what she believes in the world she has this very small she has a a, a part of it that she doesn't or is in conflict with or or whatever and that's enough to get her kicked out and it's the same thing with uh, Oliver Anthony he had a song that kind of resonated with the alt right but they kind of don't want him if he's going to say these say these other things. I mean, to me, mm -hmm. people are really interesting, but I never ask people to agree entirely with me. 
I find that just to be an absolutely strange or, or the art that they create. I mean, I, I don't know one, I mean, this notion of agreement and solidarity um, just seems suffocating. Um, a, a world where we all think in the same way, where we think in the, you know, our politics are the same and we can all just, exactly. sort of, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Thank Thanks for saying that. Thank you. And he's getting, he's getting it from the right. Rowling and others get it, get it from, get it from the left. Um, and like, this isn't a way to live. Like there, there, there are better ways to live with art. There's better ways to live with culture. There, there's a better politics. I mean, everything that you say, Tim, about sort of like punching down or like you, you would really want him to say like, look, yeah, I wish you had concentrated a little bit more on the Richmond north of Richmond. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I wish you had talked about like the people who own the factories or, or the need for mining itself instead of making a, a pun about miners and Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a scary world. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, we have to come to our recommendations. John, what do you have for us? Well, I'm going to, if I can re recommend two things, I'm going to, um, uh, absolutely. Um, one I'm going, I was fooling around on YouTube. I'm, I'm a huge fan of the group Steely Dan. Mm. Um, and for many, many years, I have been trying to find a live version on YouTube of the song Showbiz Kids. And there are live versions and the band sounds really great, but none with the lead singer of, of Steely Dan, Donald Fagan, singing. He would always let Michael McDonald sing, who sang background for them before he became famous with the Doobie Brothers. Um, but Steely Dan was on this show called Midnight Special, and they sang four songs. And one of them was Showbiz Kids with Fagan singing. Um, the lead vocals, as he does on the record. And the it is an absolutely amazing artifact of the 1970s. That's all I have. This is the, <laughs> this is the most 70s video um, you can you can ever you can ever, ever, ever see. And then I, I I'll just recommend because uh, my my family, we read we read this um the idiot by dostoevsky out loud over the dinner table and i recommend that for every family every actually every single person everyone in america should read dostoevsky's the idiot it's an incredibly funny it's just so funny and so pertinent for um for today's world so those are my two recommendations one is steely dan song that you can see them live show biz kids and the other read Dostoevsky's The Idiot out loud. You will enjoy it very, very, very much. Cool. Thank you. Thank you very much. Joaquin, what do you have? I'm, I'm just so impressed by the fact that you're reading Dostoevsky with your family over dinner. That's, that's oh my God. But Who it's are fun. you? <laughs> <laughs> it's Jesus Christ. We're just Jesus having fun. You put, you put everyone to shame with, with that. that uh, just imagining that. Like, wow. What do I do over dinner with my family? 
Oh, wow. Okay, I'm going to recommend uh, a TV series that I've been following for a long, long time, and it's called Unforgotten on PBS. Mm. Um, if you like crime, British crime shows, this is one of the best ones that I ever watched, and I'm very excited that season number five just started. And uh, I'm also going to recommend that everyone stay away from social media. I know that that's insane, exciting. That a lot of these, a lot of these unhappiness, a lot of these issues that everyone is grappling with on a daily basis have to do with our addiction to social media. It just seems so shallow and so stupid and so wasteful to to even contribute to the conversation. I. I have Twitter. I don't have anything else. I have. I don't even check out Instagram or Facebook. But I really made made a promise to myself that I would just read a few selected accounts. I would follow a few selected people. And I would never, never contribute to the conversation. I don't want to say anything. I don't want to like. I don't want to insult. I, I just don't want to do that. I know it's too late. I know that we already lost that battle, but, you know, I have to say it anyways, since I have the chance to say it. Cool. How about you, Tim? Well, um, I want to recommend a band, a German band. Um, no, actually, it's a Swiss band. It's not a German band, uh, so I can recommend it, actually. Uh, from the 80s, um, they had a big hit early 80s called Ice Bear, Polar Bear. Um, there are also many, at least a few covers of that uh, circling around. Um, and I never listened to much more than that song, which is a really, really super great song. But I've been rediscovering them and listening to their to their old albums. They had a very short lifespan, three, four years. And it's amazing. It's just really amazing. One of them is Stefan Eicher, who later had also a solo career, or still has a solo career. And uh, yeah, the mu the music is just just very off the time, but oddly, I hate the word, but still fresh. And and it, it sounds it just sounds so ready. And when you're in a slightly aggravated mood, there's nothing better. To rock out to Galtzone, <laughs> it's 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 really nice. Yeah, sounds like what we all need to do that. Listen to this band and rock out. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> thank you so much, John, for coming onto the show. Well, well thank you. It's been a very pleasure. Very and, very enjoyable. And maybe <laughs> we'll get some hate mail, <laughs> <laughs> like for the first time, but. Uh, wonderful discussion uh it's it's yeah it's a it's a strange moment in time it's a very strange moment and anyway our intro and outro music is by springtide it's their coney island train blues and it comes to us via the free free music archive and thanks everybody for listening and catch us again in two weeks bye bye everybody Bye.